Welcome to another episode in our limited series, The 12 Days of White Christmas. Over the course of 12 episodes, we'll break down the 1954 holiday classic White Christmas, the songs, the scenes, everything else that makes this movie a family favorite. I'm Roger. I'm Marcy. And we're very happy once again to be joined by a returning guest. Uh, you may know her from such other podcasts as The 12 Days of White Christmas, Episode 4. Uh, Susan Hill has come back to grace us with her presence and, dare I say, extreme white Christmas expertise. How are you, Susan? I'm good. How are you? And how are you, Marcy? Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Marcy's Marcy's playing Wounded uh, today. Yeah. But, I uh, dropped a ping pong table on my toe today and broke it. It hasn't feel, been a great day. <laughs> I would have to say, given that story, you came off relatively unscathed. Yeah. I mean, the end of my second toe is broken, and I'm just really glad that it didn't like fall on the top of my foot and break all of the bones in the top of my foot. And then fall on top of you, and then you've got oh. like a Wizard of Oz, like Wicked Witch of yeah. the West, like feet sticking out or we can reach the east sorry feet sticking out <laughs> yeah this could have this could have been a lot a lot worse today now you know what been. now you know what phil feels like when he falls down the stairs it's too I bad do. that we're not doing that episode right yeah now. <laughs> um well you can just tell everyone it's a dancing injury yeah do that too roger yeah. stepped very hard on my toe <laughs> whoa hey wow okay uh, well, Susan, we we enjoyed you so much the last episode that we decided to bring you back for the only episode without any singing. Um, but there's a lot of fun stuff that happens in this episode. Uh, yep. I'm really looking forward to it. This is episode nine of our series. It begins at about one hour and 21 minutes when Phil compares Judy to a dog. Um, and it runs until about one hour 29 uh, when Judy gives Betty a push. Also so known as a guilt trip. Yeah. So this is so this is the this is the phony engagement cast party episode. I have a lot of notes, but I'm just I don't want to I don't want to uh, stage manage the conversation too much. Is there anywhere where is there any particular place where any of you would like to begin? I would like to begin with when um, the marriage proposals are on the other foot. Phil shortchanges his tune real quick to being absolutely terrified. He's yeah. all for Bob tying the knot so he can have 45 minutes to get a massage or something. But as soon as Judy proposes to like, proposes her plan to him and plan in quotation marks, um, yeah, he suddenly is terrifying. I can understand why his voice is cracking so much in the rest of this movie because he appears to have regressed to about age eleven. Yes, in this scene, it, uh, any any semblance of puberty seems to have disappeared. I, nothing is clear. Like he's, he's, this is like the still phase of his you know, growing up where he's like, ew, girls, where at the end, when they agree to their plan or she makes him agree to the plan, he offers to shake her hand. <laughs> yeah. There's so many strange things that happens in this whole exchange between Phil and Her Judy. hand is pretty high up on his thigh for a lot of it. Yeah. She's literally backing him into a corner figuratively and literally. <laughs> so, yeah, so she... I've, I'm trying to remember what kind of conversation we had about this in episode four. If there was any doubt that Judy is at least willing to make moves, this episode is going to remove all doubt about that. So let me just return to my original question. 
It kind of, I mean, I would say that her affection in this chapter seems genuine and very passionate. She wants him, and I think she's not going to let anything stand in her way. And she's proved from the very beginning that she's a schemer. She's a hustler. Because, you know, she wrote a letter to Phil and Bob um, under false pretenses, pretending to be someone else to get them to the nightclub. And like, she will do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter what it is. She will throw herself at this man. And I think by this point, she don't realize that she also wants this man. So her plans are sort of coinciding here. She can, she can wed two birds with two birds with one stone. So I think I always get tripped up on that. um, She has this ulterior motive to kind of release her sister from feeling like she needs to take care of her. And I think the part that like makes me question the whole motivation is that like, does she really like him or is she just trying to make things better for her sister? And I don't, I'm not convinced a hundred percent. I'm not sure it's either of those. I think it's, I'm not going to get anywhere with anything in my life with my mother hen looking over me. I need to get her settled and then oh. I can go out and do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's good. Yeah. Related question. So Susan, since I think you've seen more vintage movies than either Marcy or I put together, mm-hmm. um, like the, the, the physical, um, uh, come on from Judy to Phil in this chapter how does that compare to say other scenes between men and women from movies that were coming out around this time? Cause like, like you said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hand on the inner thigh. There's a lot of leaning into somebody else's personal space. Like a, I, I feel like this is an unusual thing for a woman to do. And if the situation were reversed, well, certainly today, this would seem super uncomfortable, but like, yeah. I don't know what other movies, like, are there other movies back then where a woman like is this aggressive in trying well, to kind of think, go after a guy. Yeah, I think uh, modern audiences like ourselves see it through a different lens than the 1950s audience did. I think I think it's sort of played for comedy okay. in that look at her, she's pushing and he's so uncomfortable and his voice is cracking and he's backing up, he's moving up. They're on this really long window seat so it gets further and further along. And I think a lot of it is played for comedy because you just don't see women being that aggressive you know, in the, in like in that era of movies, it's, there's a there's change coming because we're like the middle of the fifties. So like we're heading towards the sixties where women will be more empowered, but I really think it's played a lot for comedy because that's what musicals depend on. They depend on music and they depend on comedy. Yeah, I will. I will add one piece of evidence maybe to support that, which is this quote from Judy that I wrote down because I wanted to make sure that I got it right. She actually says, because, uh, you know, Phil, Phil is sort of, you know, questioning the the sensibility of this whole scheme. Judy says, well, of course, you don't think I'm the kind of girl that goes around throwing herself at a man like when that's exactly what she's doing Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if it wasn't for the fact that she actually is falling for Phil, she would just be like, once she's set loose, she will just be a firecracker. Like no man will be safe. (laughs) I think she might be genuinely interested in him. And I think she is by this point. Yes. I don't know that she is originally, but by this point, she definitely has feelings for him. I think I know. I noticed something 
that I had never noticed before until I started watching this scene for the podcast, which is, you know, so this scene, like this scene follows right on sort of like some serious door slamming from the last chapter. Like what I noticed, so they, they like go to the window because they're trying to like figure out what's wrong with Betty. Um, and like Judy has her hand on like the small of Phil's back in a very familial and affectionate sort of way. Like you would do with someone that, I don't know, that at least you feel comfortable with physically. And like, I'd never noticed that before. Um, <laughs> it seems like, like, I feel like that's a sign of tenderness. Do you well, think that could be met. like... I was going to say, do you think that could be um, because they're dancers together and they spend a lot of time in physical contact with each other? That's what I was going to say. When they first met, they had a very intimate dance. Yeah, their first thing. Well, let me put it this way. Judy feels comfortable doing that with Phil. Phil appears to uh, feel like he needs to tunnel into the wall if if the roles are reversed. Well, I think the marriage piece is really what's making him tunnel into the wall. That's fair. I don't think just her touching him. Yeah, it's a commitment issue. It's not uh, an intimacy issue. (laughs) I will also point out that, I don't know what you call this. Is this like a bench seat? Marcy, you're our our landscape consultant or interior design consultant. What would you call this piece of furniture that this scene takes place on? Well, yeah, a bench seat, sure. It, It appears to go on for approximately a half a mile. It's great. But it I don't, turns, it's like a big L, I think. It's like it turns towards the camera as well at the end. Yeah. It, it's so long. I'm not I'm not super wild of it being right in front of windows because you can't like lean back. But then again, like people in the nineteen fifties didn't lean back and relax. Marcy, yeah, you were you, to perch and smoke a cigarette, you know. Yeah. Would you would you prefer that there be exposed rafters so that when people sit on the bench and lean back, they whack their heads on things? Oh, we just did that when we went out the other night. Yeah, Both of did. us. We did to to hear a band that uh Ooh. wasn't as good as we were. We're not gonna name check them now because they were not very satisfying. Does anybody have anything else about this? lovely scene between phil and judy before we move to the cast party no i just want to talk about betty's dress at the cast party that's all i want to talk about (laughs) i do too but i just want to point out because i think we talked about this last time too like i've never seen people so enraptured with a chalkboard did you look at the faces close i know it's like oh look wow they wrote down what's about to happen how does the woman... cast party? If I look closer, will it still say cast party? <laughs> she has to be six inches away from the thing to see it. I don't understand. It's yeah, because it's not written small. No, <laughs> it, it's not. It's not. It's announcement size. Whatever font, whatever point announcement size is, it's that size. Imagine the directing that you need to do. That's like, all right, now we're gonna do the cast party sign. Get ready. Lean in. Really no, enthusiastic. Lean in Get closer. I'm, I don't Those think there's a lot of directing there. These are just extras. Yeah. Well, A plus. Did you all enjoy? Uh, so there's no actual songs that we're going to like break down and rate, but did you all enjoy the musical interludes that returned? Um, well, the best things happen while you're dancing comes back. Right. That's right. I love that. Well, he also starts right before um, Phil makes his announcement. They, he starts to play. Um, uh, counter blessings, which is not part of their show, as far as I know. Or no, no, no it is. Yeah, that's right. That's right because he wants to sing with her at the piano. Counter blessings, so it is part of. The oh, show. yeah, yep. But it was yeah, one right. that they were going to add in. Wasn't he talking about yeah. like kind of adding in that number, and it really yeah. came from the fireplace scene? Yeah, lays down great. Yeah. Anyway, I mean that's a common 
trope of like movies this era that like the background like instrumental music is music that they have already sung or will sing in the movie because it's, they don't have to pay rights for it. Sure. And <laughs> they're like not it. o- it's not only the they're not only playing the instrumental version, it seems like something that everybody would like to have a sing along to. Oh yes. Yeah. And they've put um little Susan into yes. duty again as the waitress. Once again, Susan is doing manual labor. I noticed that too. Susan's got to be 13 and she's working hard. Yep. Right. Free labor. Am I right? Yeah. Well, I, will... I, one thing I can confirm though, cause like, it, I think it's always struck my brother as weird. I think that they um, just broke into song, like people sitting around the piano singing the songs. Mm-hmm. I've been to many choir parties and, and we will break out into song periodically oh. <laughs> with very I little mean, provocation. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Like that's, no. that's these people stock and trade. Exactly. They what else would they do? What else? Would I mean, do? I mean, it's not, if you were a bunch of accountants, you would just start to sit down and start doing accounts, but like people who are performers and creators, this is what they do. They like to do what they do. Susan, let's talk about this dress. This beautiful velvet dress with like the detail of like this, the extra kind of like, well, it's not, it's not really a cutout. It's more like a string that's attached around the neck and the front and back. I love the way it flares out. I love the color. I love the way it looks on film. I love the way it fits Rosemary Clooney. It is a beautiful, beautiful dress. <laughs> It is beautiful. It's depressing, though. I mean, she's come to a cast party dressed in, like, black. It's green. Oh, is it really? It's, like, it's, deep it's, green. It's a, it's a forest green, yeah. Yeah. What's more Christmas than a green dress? Come on. Well, let me put it this way. When you, <laughs> when you see her in this dress, I think you are... I don't think it's an accident that it's very, very dark. No, it's a bit somber to just, you know, to reflect her, her mood at the time. But it's yeah. a dark green, and it's just beautiful. Do you like the white one that? Um, no, I like very wearing? little of what Vera Allen uh, wears in this movie. <laughs> I really like the um, plaid dress in the last or plaid skirt in the last scene. I really like that one yes. a lot. Yes. I think that outfit is really smart, but I don't like how they do the drop waist on her on this white yeah. dress. It's really, it's like. Like they need to kind of stop tucking her in and they've just like done another tuck and it looks really weird. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling that she's always wanting to highlight her, her waist, how small her waist is. But yeah, um, no, I, uh, no. I, I feel <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like Betty is sort of rehearsing for the look that she's going to have at the carousel club. That's the feeling. Yeah. Cause her, her clothing gets sure. progressively darker. Dark, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to match her mood. This movie's not subtle yeah. about that. Yeah. Cause even the song she sings in New York is just like a dark song. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> we should say too, I should have said this at the top um, in our cast corner today, we're going to talk about one of the best people. I think in this chapter of the movie, we're going to talk, we're going to talk more about Barry chase who plays Doris. Um, because this is this is Doris's big return. Mutual, um, I'm sure. And she's got she's got she's got so many better lines in in this chapter too. I, I love it when um when she says, "Oh, I sure wish it would happen to me." Yeah, we all do. <laughs> I wish it would happen to you too. Uh, <laughs> and she finds this nice guy, this doofy. Mr. Something guy. Who she is this wait, guy? she doesn't she doesn't find this guy. Well this, this guy, this guy is foisted together. Yeah, so his his name is Mr. Herring. Oh. According to the dialogue. 
And let's just say he seems like a bit of a skirt chaser. Cause like he is like going hard after Betty. He, yep. So, okay. So here, here are my issues with Mr. Herring. First off, he cuts in on Bob after maybe 15 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like he I, watches the exchange and he's like, I'm making my move in a go. <laughs> who cuts in on other people? I don't understand that. Well, well, who cuts in on someone who already cut in? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to quote our co-host our, our guest today, Marcy, and say that I feel like this whole notion of like cutting in is maybe something that from a from a slightly older time. Yeah. I don't think that really happens anymore. I think there's actually like a protocol about how you're supposed to do that. I'm pretty sure you're supposed to at least let the person you're cutting in on dance for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like this, this guy, he knows what he wants. He goes right after it. But then as soon as he's led over by the hand by Phil in a very amusing exchange, um, like as soon as he's introduced to pretty much any other woman in the room, he's like, wow, you're amazing too. Well, well, I'm curious is. about how many times, how many other dancers he's tried to cut in with until this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's something else. That actress, she reminds me a little bit of the character from Singing in the Rain, Lena Lamont. So the the silent actress who has like the terrible voice, like you know, I'm Lena Lamont. You know, from Singing in the Rain, she reminds me a little bit of her platinum blonde hair and everything. Is that an act? Do you think in Singing in the Rain? No, in Singing in the Rain, that's how she actually sounds. It's not how the actress sounds, but that's how she actually sounds. It's one of those, because singing, the point of Singing in the Rain is the progression from silent movies to talkies. Uh-huh. And the fact that a lot of the silent actors had like strong accents and weird voices. So they, they didn't move well from silent to talkies. But that's not how the actress who plays that role in Singing in the Rain sounds in real life. No, she's like an alto. She has like this really low voice. Well, you know what? So uh, not to... Not to uh, look too far ahead in this episode, but it, uh, Barry Chase is the same way. If you've yeah. ever listened to her, um, you know she sounds she sounds like Faye Dunaway. <laughs> <laughs> um, she does she does not sound like this at all. So for whatever reason, maybe for the same reason, she's decided maybe. she's decided to adopt this incredibly annoying nasally accent. Yeah, because if someone leaned over to Betty and said, "Isn't this a wonderful party?" It wouldn't have the same yeah, uh, effect no. as isn't it. This woman has the best look on her face, and the guy is just kind of like, What the hell did I get into? As they're dancing away, it's a huge smile. She has, um, like, I don't think she filmed very well with the color hair that she gave, they gave her. It's kind of mm-hmm. like um, General Waverly's hair that went really blue. Whatever platinum blonde they went after for her, kind of, mm, it does something weird on the film. Doesn't show up well in Vista Vision. No, it does not. Yeah, it's part of the processing, maybe. Uh, what Overprocessed else? hair. What do you think about the decor, the heavy draperies? That's very... Very late forties, I would call it. I think it's yeah, it's, yeah. This seems about but like what I would country, expect, right? I mean, you yeah. told us you told us last time. Is is this is this the same set as the Holiday Inn? Like, did they literally well, not rearrange the interior? Yeah, I'm not sure if this particular room is part of the Holiday Inn set. Certainly, the open space where the show takes place and you know the window seats uh, and all that kind of stuff is is definitely from Holiday Inn. Sure, but this particular smaller room, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised if it was because I know in Holiday Inn there's a scene where he's like at a dining table or something. But anyway, yeah, I'd have to compare them. Anybody have any thoughts about Bob hammering away on that pipe? <laughs> 
Bing Crosby um, smokes a pipe in a lot of movies, so I assume he was really a big pipe smoker and would take any opportunity he could to smoke on screen as well. <laughs> My grandfather smoked a pipe, and there was, like, all these things that he had to do around getting it ready. and Yeah, both my grandfather smoked pipes, but I can still remember puffing. how they smell. Yeah, it was something else. Yeah. Um, I always used, used to like the smell of a pipe, and I hate smoking. Yeah. It's a very different smell. It doesn't it smell like horrible tobacco smoke. No. It's, 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 a, it's a slightly more pleasant smell. Yeah. It's not good for you. Don't do it, kids. But <laughs> it's a slightly more pleasant smell. One thing I, when I was thinking when I was watching this uh, particular set of scenes is if I was Betty, I mean, I, I know she's already, you know, pretty mad at Bob, <laughs> but if I was Betty, I'd be pretty mad that my sister, instead of telling me that she, that her, her, that Judy was engaged she just tells a room of strangers first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... she runs up and hugs her and I'm just like, you should be mad. <laughs> you <should> yeah. Be <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. I think the best part of this is when Bob tries to, um, go in the kitchen with Betty and make amends and they get a toast going and he just guzzles the whole thing down. And, and the look on her face. It's she's like he's looking a, at He's like he's a serial killer of some yes. <laughs> all she like all they'd have to do is have one small conversation. He would correct her miscomprehension of what was actually happening. They could yep. fall in love and the movie would be done. Yeah. No. Why do you think, why do you think he shotguns that glass of champagne? Is he like trying to get out of this exchange as fast as he can? Is he looking for some liquid courage? Is he just a lush? I think he just likes champagne. It's like, this is free. You can drink as much as I want. I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. It, it, it seems like he's nervous. Like in normally in other scenes where you see somebody drink that much that fast, but right before they talk to someone, it's because they're nervous. I can't imagine that that's the case here though. But he's he's drinking it while he's doing whatever it is he's doing. Usually it's like a quick jolt of whatever, and then you steal yourself, and then you go and do the thing that makes yeah. you nervous. But he's like, blah, 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 back to where we were, like, you know, liverwurst and whatever, and then, like, drinks back the champagne. It's taken kind of his time to do it, you know? And it's, it's, it's very strange. It's very strange. He also misunderstands this entire relationship because the look on her face should tell him something. Yeah. And she, he just, he's like, hey, you know, back to where we were. Yay. Yeah. She's just like, I hate you and everything you stand for. I'm going <laughs> to New York. And then uh, we have women going to bed in full hair and makeup. Oh, so much makeup. <laughs> so like the glossy red lipstick. I would not want to wash those pillowcases. Oh, man. I've, I know that they don't want women to look normal, but. I think they could at least tone down a little bit on the makeup when they put them to sleep. <laughs> it, it's a very weirdly staged scene. I've always found that this is very weird because, like, Betty's awake, but she's turned away. Judy acts like she doesn't realize that Betty's not asleep. And then they just have this. It's it's very there are some there are some aspects of this movie that really read like a stage play. Yeah. You know, like if, if this were, if this were like on stage, they would have like a spotlight on Judy and a spotlight on Betty and just like yeah. black between them. Well, they kind of do. I mean, like they're going to bed in bright lights, right? <laughs> it's funny. 
is Judy? I, I, I'm just oh, sorry. I'm just asking. Is is Betty back in her like twelve uh, year old white nightgown from from the from the sleeper car? Um, it's got it short does sleeves. Have a bow at the top. It's got short sleeves and a bow at the top. It, it does look like it. Yeah, I think was Judy wearing those pajamas on the train as well. I don't remember. I don't remember either. She has better. She's got. She's got better pajamas. Game. Yeah. They look itchy. Both of them look itchy to me. <laughs> and like they're perfectly quaffed hair as well. Yeah. Even like Betty was already got her head in a pillow. You could just tell that she was lying there, and that hair and makeup were just like buzzing around her and perfectly placing her hair. And they're like, "Don't yeah. move." Don't move at all. <laughs> the shellac will come off or whatever is holding your yeah. waves and curls in place. <laughs> I mean, I've never had my hair permed, but if, <laughs> if your hair looks like Betty's, how are you like, what is the optimal head position on your pillow so that you have any chance of it waking up looking good in the morning? Well, I Face think down. The one that doesn't lead to suffocation around your head or something. Yeah. Like you would, you would scarf, put a scarf around your head and like tie it in place to kind of hold the hair. Yeah, it was like a big hairnet. No, like a silk scarf, like a scarf, like an actual, like you know, triangle scarf that you like, like a big bandana almost that you just put around your hair just to hold all your hair in place. Hmm. Or maybe they like in the fifties they had like a specific hat for that specific purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many women went to bed with curlers, and I've done that once in my entire life the night before my prom, and I will never do it again. That's painful. I feel like curlers are another that that's definitely another marker that like like we're in the 1950s or 60s or 80s. Oh, yeah. (laughs) okay. For early 90s in my case. (laughs) I feel like I haven't seen. Well, not that I would have occasion to, but just this notion of women wearing curlers feels like something from at least a couple decades ago. Well, you don't live with a woman that does her hair, but other people do that and go to bed in curlers or like do all this stuff with the hairspray and all the things and the irons and the curlers and straightenings and curlings. And yeah, I don't do any, not so much with the crimping anymore. I probably did. Oh, I had a crimper. Everybody who grew up in the eighties had a crimper. (laughs) I know what that is. That's the one that makes your head look like it's been. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. (laughs) Like you would crimp it and you could brush it and you just like, yeah poodle (laughs) can i just go back to the don't wash jeans can i go back to the party scene um i want to give want to give a few props again to my man general waverly for finally getting the getting the romance going you think he's creepy creepy. you think he's i think that's super creepy i don't like it i don't like it when people tell you to do something like kiss each other i find that very um invasive and creepy and then he just yeah. stands there staring at them even when it Ew. comes from someone who you view as sort of like a fatherly figure especially i think it's gross i don't all like right. it at all okay you think that's romantic i didn't i'm well i'm not saying it's romantic but I am saying, thank God someone finally got them to actually express some affection for each other. Like, thank God somebody finally broke down Phil and got him to actually, like, she, he, he actually gives her a, you know, semi-passionate kiss. He does actually look happy while they're dancing at the very end of that scene. So, that's all I want to say. it's still a bit creepy. <laughs> 
No, I don't like it. Especially because he stares. Yes. Like it's one thing. It's creepy enough to suggest it, but then to just like stand and watch and make sure it's that. Maybe it's the general side of him. Like, I, I don't think I sure would. The... It could be like he gives orders. That's yeah. might be what I'm just prickling at. But yeah, I would never want somebody to come over to me and be like, oh, you know, let's have you. Well, I don't even you. like it. Like at weddings when people tap on glasses. And that's stuff. just what I was going to ask. How you both felt about that? Nothing. Nope. Thumbs down. Thumbs nope. down. <laughs> Mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> I know I invited you to this wedding, but please mind your own business. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody have anything else about what we saw in this minute or in this chapter, I should say? Nope. No. No. But I have prepared a I have prepared a little quiz for you guys. <gasps> quiz? What? Wow. This now, is before great. You, before I told you, can, you Susan prepares. Is it only, I hope it's only about white Christmas. It is only about white Christmas. So okay. And also like, I was like trolling through some quizzes online and I'm like, wow, these are super easy. It's like, well, will we get characters to this? So that's Phil. Is it one for Marthy <laughs> and I to compete against each other or should we cooperate? I believe you should cooperate. All right. Great. That's all right. I'm so, in. If you insist. Question, question number one, what division were they serving in? 85th. No, no, that's wrong. It's something with, it's got three digits in it. I think it's the 151st. 101st. I think it's the 151st. Roger is correct. Point yeah. What does Phil hope to get by helping the sisters? Well. 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Yeah. Yep. Point to Marcy. She said for Oh, I thought we, I thought we were cooperating. <laughs> no, it's, it's obvious we're competing. Okay. Well then, uh, all right. Gloves okay. are off then. Turn your brain which, on. Which song from the film was nominated for an Oscar? Uh, Count Your Blessings. Point to Roger. Oh. What it's... city do Bob and Phil go to see Betty and Judy perform their act for the first time? Uh, Miami. Miami is correct. Miami. All right. So I you, just, just to be fair, I tend to be better at trivia, and I also pay more attention to details in movies. That's all right. I, <laughs> I own my lack of trivia knowledge. Except you couldn't tell what color Betty's dress is, but moving on. That's not trivia. That's me being an, a dumb guy. That's me, guy. Uh, what is the name of the resort that Bob, Phil, Betty, and Judy stay at? Pine Tree? No. That's the town. It's the Columbia Inn. It is ah! the Columbia Inn. Marcy, have you what watched is- this movie? Shush, <laughs> shush, shush. Who was the busybody housekeeper that worked for General Waverly? Emma Allen. Point to Marcy. Did you what give show me that did one? Bob go on to invite the old military unit of General Waverly? The Bob Newhart show. It's the Ed, it's the Ed <laughs> Harrison show. It is the Ed Harrison show. And last question, final question, worth 10 million points. Oh. What is the name of the club where Bob and Phil see Betty and Judy for the first time? Novellas. Marcy wins it. Sorry, Roger. Uh, look at <laughs> where I where I found the answer to the Emma Allen question. It's not a laminated guest card or um, cast card, but it is a short list of names. Marcy, I would have made one. I would have made one of those for you if you didn't forget it to half of our episodes of Roadhouse Minute after I made it for you. That's not true. I never forgot it. That's absolutely false. It wasn't gonna... laminated. That's why I was nervous about using it. Oh, all right. Fine. I often had a drink. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you say? I often had a drink. I didn't want to get it wet and then oh, ruin the paper. You made it sound like the reason why you didn't bring it was because you were intoxicated. Well, no. 
Could well, I mean, it was a movie about a bar. Yeah, could have been. Friends, can we talk a little bit about uh, Barry Chase? Sure. So let's go to our cast corner because I just have some 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 trivia. I'd like you. I, I think everybody should know more about her because she has so many enjoyable scenes in this movie. Well, two of them. Um, <laughs> well, two. She, she's born in 1933 in New York. Um, she she's a very famous dancer. Um, I'm glad she actually is a New Yorker. That makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. So around this time, she's mostly famous for dancing on television. She was in a lot of live television specials. Um, she was one of Fred Astaire's, I think, favorite dance partners. Um, she appeared really? with him on multiple occasions. Um, she actually dated him briefly. Um, yes, I know. Um, it's all above board, though. This was after he became a widower. Um, so very briefly after his wife's death, they were dating. Would he be considerably older than he she is? Uh, I have to check. I feel like he's sort of in that. Um... He looks ancient. In oh, my picture. gosh. He's he's even older than Bob Hope. He is. Well, he's only he's he's only 34 years older than she is. <laughs> wow. He was born in the 19th century. Oh boy. <laughs> my goodness. He gracious. was born in 1899. So he's got three years on my man, Bing Crosby. Wow. Um, what else? Uh, she was she was in a lot of Hollywood musicals. Basically, I mean that's her that is her claim to fame. She was kind of in the chorus um, of a lot of these a lot of. No, these she musicals. was in Brigadoon. Yeah, she's in a lot of them. Um, she's got forty three mm-hmm. credits in the IMDb, um, which is considerably more than like for example, my man John Brascia. <laughs> um, and as I as I mentioned before, it's it's funny to she, oh also. I have to I have to correct an error I made in a previous episode where we talked about um, the fantastic um, the actress who played Susan Waverly, uh, who is named Anne Whitfield. Um, I, I, at the time, I said that she was the only member of the of the cast who was still with us. Uh, Barry Chase is still with us, at least as of this recording, 2022. She's still with us, uh, and if you listen to her. Uh, any recordings of her online? She is definitely an alto. She does. She does not sound like mm-hmm. Doris at all. Wow, um, the profile picture for her on IMDb is something else. Oh yeah, from mm-hmm. Flight of the Phoenix. She's wearing like some kind of loincloth, a bikini top. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. And I think her face has been darkened. She's got very dark hair. She kind of looks like uh, Jane Fonda and Barbarella. Or the Orion Slate Girl in Star Trek: The Next, uh, the original series. Except <laughs> you can't tell that she's green. <laughs> oh, so those are those are my that is my information for you about Barry Chase. We've talked about her some in this episode, uh, and Marcy and I we've talked about her in other episodes. Anybody have anything else that they want to add about their thoughts about Barry Chase or Doris and White Christmas? I'm, I'm just like like I said before. I, I'm just so relieved that she actually is a New Yorker. <laughs> Uh, Although I doubt she sounds quite that New Yorkish in real life. She's great. I always enjoy her lines in this show. Yeah. Isn't she's... it a great party? You <laughs> <laughs> will, I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> she has a lot well. of um, pictures on um, this where she has brown hair instead of the blonde. Yeah. Maybe she was wearing a wig. What do you think? In White Christmas? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a wig or she just actually platinum blonded her hair. Wow. I think that's probably more likely. Yeah. All right, friends. I think it's that time. So this is chapter nine of our podcast, which means it's time to 
uh, it's time to name our lady dancing, nine ladies dancing in the 12 days of Christmas. So just like last time, we're going to pick the one character that we feel like is our MVP of the episode. Um, and Susan, you're our guest again. Um, why don't you go first? Who's your, who is your MVP of chapter nine of white Christmas? This is a tough one for this series of scenes. Can I choose her dress? Is that right? uh, <laughs> no? Okay. You must um, pick a character. I'm just gonna pick a character. Okay, so I'm gonna go with Judy. Tell us why. Even though, even though she's duplicitous, even though she's pushy, even though she backs poor Phil into a corner and lies to her sister and tells the room of strangers that they're getting married before she tells her own sister that she's so close to that her sister won't even let it, won't even leave the nest. She's the one who moves the story forward here. She makes Phil make the announcement, and then things start to move. They don't necessarily move in the direction that she thinks they're going to move, but things start to move. Marcy, what about you? Um, I think I'm going to pick Betty um, because she just plays up all of her emotions out of her face and eyes, but she doesn't use any of her words. And if only she did. I know. Speak, Betty. Tell him what the problem is. <laughs> I know. I I do think this is at the height of like a use your words, Betty moment. Um, but I think she does a good job of really showing how angry she is, um, but not telling anybody about it. Oh, the look on her face in that kitchen, though, like Bob that, is oblivious because he yeah. she's looking daggers at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Roger, well, how about you? I am going to agree with our guests. I'm going to pick Judy because I feel like she, um, I feel like, I feel like I would say that, you know, throughout this whole chapter from beginning to end is probably some of um, Vera Ellen's strongest character work as Judy. Um, I think she does a really mm -hmm. good job of sort of carrying the scene with Danny Kaye. Um, you know, which, which isn't always easy to do, right? Like he's always has sort of like a big outsized presence. And so for her to go toe to toe with him in that scene, um, I think is, is good. Um, I think she has a nice scene at the end, um, with Betty. Uh, and I think, you know, all the way through for all the reasons that you said, Susan, I think, I think she does a really good job. Well, I think when she's also like doing her thing, when she's just like pushing, you see, um, Danny Kay's character shrink a bit. Like he kind of sucks himself in when she's just like, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And he's just like, okay, okay. My voice is cracking. Okay. Um, but when he's a bit happier, then he starts to balloon back out to the kind of clown kind of character. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Susan, uh, it, it's, gosh, it's been, it's been so great having you on again. Um, I, we can, we can tell that your enthusiasm for this movie knows no bounds. Like Marcy, <laughs> mm -hmm. how many, how many people have we ever had come as guests on our show who like brought their own segments with them? No, that's great. <laughs> Multiple segments. This is fantastic. I'm telling you, Susan, you are a podcast host. You just don't know it yet. You need to, you need to find your podcast and make it happen. Um, and so so when that happens, I will get you, I will come back to you. I'll get you to re-record your promos and then I'll just digitally reinsert them <laughs> right at this moment like here. Magic. <laughs> um, I don't know that we can promote anything else, except if you haven't, obviously you should go back and listen to episode four, where you made your mm -hmm. white Christmas, 12 days of white Christmas podcasting debut. And, and we've just, we've just had a real ball with you. So thanks again for, for coming out and sharing this movie with us. 
Thank you for having me. It's always Thanks fun. for coming. That's <laughs> great. And thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode of our podcast. Uh, we hope that you'll continue through uh, three more episodes to the end of our 12 Days of White Christmas. And they, you know, maybe you'll go back and listen to earlier episodes if you're joining us for the first time today. Uh, if you can please rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Bye now. Bye. Bye.